It's Dr. Stu's Podcast at drstuespodcast.com. And of course, it's available on iTunes. Give Dr. Stu five stars. Write a nice review. I'm Brian Whitman, along with my friend, Dr. Stuart Fishbein. He is Dr. Stu. This is his podcast. If you have a question for Dr. Stu, just uh, punch him up. Ask Stu at gmail.com. And you are, I tell you, it's something about being a doctor. You are like obsessively, compulsively committed to responding to any email you get at askdrstu at gmail.com. I, I have become more obsessive, compulsive as I've gotten older. You're right. I cannot leave anything till morning. I get to all these things as the day goes on and I get emails or text messages from patients. I'm sitting there busy typing away and, and being distracted. I'm really trying really hard not to even look at my phone. I'm in the car anymore <laughs> because, uh, you know, it's, it is dangerous. I find myself veering off the lane and doing these things, reading these text messages in the car. Oh, wow. So, now, you know, I have OCD, clinical OCD. Yeah, and, and I'm catching up to you. Oh, you are catching up to oh, me yeah. because it goes in waves. Like you'll have it in adolescence, and then it'll go away sometimes in young adulthood. And then it will, like from the 25 to 35, it was gone, and then it kind of crept back in there as I approach 40, and now it's kind of going away again. But it's uh, something yeah. you live with your entire life, I, you know. And I think when we have it, when we when people that have this in, innately inside of them, when their life begins to get a little chaotic or hectic, they, they revert back to it. It makes them feel comfortable. And so sometimes when things are, you know, changing in your life or something, you, you become more OCD than when things are going smoothly. But it really is interesting because for me, and I think also for you, I'm OCD about certain things like responding to people because my, I've made it my, mes- my mission to really try to change the way people look at birth and to really respond differently and to treat medicine differently than the, you know, the assembly line medicine that we're getting to. But yet... I don't keep my house that clean. I don't keep my kitchen that clean. My, you know, I have socks and other stuff which shall remain unnamed on the bedroom floor. Right. And that doesn't bother me, but not but having messages and emails that are unread or unresponded to, that starts to get to me. Dr. Sue, as a doctor, you um you it's interesting. Let me say this the right way, right? As a doctor, you are you could probably diagnose yourself as obsessive compulsive. You, do you find as a doctor, I've never asked a doctor this question, do you diagnose yourself or do you call a colleague and go to his or her office and say, I've got XYZ, you diagnose me? Well, it just really depends on the malady. For instance, if I have a headache, I'll diagnose myself and take, take two Advil or two Tylenol. I'll, I'll do that. But if, yeah, but if I have something that is really uh, clinically strange to me or not in, up, up my alley, which of course is almost everything since I'm a gynecologist doesn't mm-hmm. really fit. Right. But um, yeah, I think that it would be best for me to contact friends or colleagues. You know, there's an old saying that a doctor who treats himself has a fool for a patient. So mm-hmm. I really do think that doctors that prescribe for themselves or for their family members are probably not being the, as smart as they should be. It's not a great idea. This is Dr. Stu's podcast available on iTunes or drstuespodcast.com. It's lucky number 13. This is the 13th podcast. And I know that's a good sign. I'm not freaked out by the number. You know, some people, oh, Friday the 13th, you know, people get all worked up. Not me, Dr. Stu. Don't yeah, we're you? not going to skip 13th and go right to 14th like some buildings have. don't yeah, have a 13th floor. I don't worry about Friday the 13th or Halloween or anything like that. I don't, there's nothing about superstition that bothers me or anything like that at all, okay? Well, it is funny that it is October and we're on our 13th podcast. Yeah, is it a, is kind yeah. of fun. Now, you wanted to talk today on Dr. Stu's podcast about, uh, well, it's a law, it's it's a, it's a an umbrella issue. There's a lot of issues that fall underneath uh, communication. I know you were listening to some talk radio in Southern California. You had some very sort of... Uh, 
passionate responses to what you heard on the radio, and you began to sort of compare what they do on the radio, talk radio, what I do for a living, to what you do here on Dr. Stu's podcast. There is a difference. Yeah, well, I spend a lot of time in my car because I do travel a lot, and so I, I sometimes listen to my iPod, I listen to my music, but a lot of times there's things on the radio that I want to listen to, current events, and talk radio, and I listen to your, your flagship sh- uh, station all the time. AM870, The Answer. <laughs> KRLA Los Angeles, thank you, sir. Right, from 6 to 9 in the morning. I sort of mentioned you the other... and Alicia. And Ben, I sort of mentioned you the other morning, but I didn't name you by name because we were talking about Obamacare. We'll get to that in a moment. Oh, yeah, well, you'll tell me about that in a minute. Anyway, my my thoughts started out like this. I was listening to one of your colleagues, not you or Ben or Alicia, but one of your colleagues talking to some a caller on the radio, and I just noticed how quickly the talk show host cuts the the caller off. Mm. Caller has a point to make, and he's in the second sentence of his point, and the and the talk radio guy cuts him off and basically goes off or, or, or changes the subject or doesn't answer the question. And it made me start to think about how dialogue is in the year 2013 and how even in my own profession, when there's a disagreement, for instance, when there's an article about home birthing, in my, you know, which I take, you know, I read all that literature, when there's an article about it, and it really is counter to what I've experienced in my life and being in a unique position of being a practitioner both in the hospital and home birth, I, I have a good perspective on this. Sure. And I will I will try, sometimes I will write a letter to the editor and I'll, I'll be limited by the, um, by the protocols of the of the mag of the journal to about uh, four hundred uh, words. Yeah, because the columns have to uh, be affixed, or have to be laid out a certain way. So an author writes an article that I disagree with. I write a, a letter to the editor pointing out the points that I disagree with, but I'm limited to four hundred words. How many did he get to write? Well, his, uh, his article was huge, but then his, his counter article to me, he got 641 words. Well, that's not fair. No, it's not fair. And he got to counter the things. And one of his criticisms was that in my critique of his article, I didn't make proper references and I didn't point out this and the other thing, which of course he knows is impossible in 400 words. So mm-hmm. what I would really like to see happening is I would like to see open debate in front of a live audience between parties, but you never see that anymore. You never see... The, the uh, editorial writers for the New York Times have to go on a uh, on a talk show with a conservative talk show host. You never see an author who writes something w- which is controversial, mm. uh, whether it's political or not. It could be uh, it could be evolution versus uh, intelligent design. They just don't talk to each other. Factor two. Ba- I I thought of you the other day because you know I think really and truly I I'm not being funny. A likely outcome. A likely next sort of level of Dr. Stu's podcast is to have live events. And we'll, and we'll have off-air meetings about that and, uh, and and off-air events where we can get you with someone who disagrees with you and we can have a forum and I can maybe be the moderator or maybe I can just sit there, buy a ticket, eat the dinner and be quiet. But I think that this, uh, a lot of what we talk about on Dr. Stu's podcast, not just on home birthing, cognitive dissonance, uh, 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 you know, uh, informed consent, all of this stuff. Uh, there's a lot, uh, there, there's hours and hours of academic conversation about this uh, between physicians, which I think not only physicians love, but patients love to hear that too. And that's the most, I think that's the most wonderful compliment I get about the podcast you do. People say to me, Brian, I've been a patient my whole life, but I've never heard the doctor's side. And I love Dr. Stu's podcast because I get to hear what the doctor's thinking. Yeah, there are, there are people on the internet who are anti-home birth, anti-midwife, and they're militantly so, almost uh, uh, vehemently uh, maliciously so. Mm. And I have challenged certain people to come forward and speak at independent forums. They've even, I've even had intermediaries try to 
set these things up. These people will never come forward. Invite them on your podcast. I've, in, I've invited them on my podcast. I've, I've offered to fly to Massachusetts to speak wow. to an audience of their peers if they'd like. I would, I, see, the difference is I have no problem speaking in front of a, a group of physicians who don't like home birth. Mm -hmm. But you take somebody who hates home birth and try to get them to come to speak in front of an audience who is pro home birth, right. you'll never you'll never get them to do it. Now, why is that? That's a you know you work in the industry. Yeah, why well, won't uh, people like that come out and defend their position? Is it because they don't have to? Because they have the the uh, the establishment. Yeah, they're they're ninety nine percenters and they don't have to deal with the one percent. To me, it's interesting. You know, I'm a moderate kind of liberal guy on a very conservative talk station. I'm sort of the black sheep of the family, right? And you're sort of the black sheep sometimes on, on these issues of home birthing and whatnot. Yeah, we have that in common. We have that in common. We have and so much not in common. We love each other. We have that yes, in common. we are we, lovable. We've been friends forever, and I've known you for 15 years. But, uh, you know, you mentioned talk radio a moment ago, and you talked about how somebody might call and the caller goes away. I've been in radio since 1986 for 27 years. I've been a radio talk show host since 1996 for 17 years and I have to say this and I I don't I'd never I don't think I'd ever say it on my radio show or on the radio on our radio show that I do with Ben and Alicia but uh, the callers to radio shows they're props you understand that Steve? yes no no we yeah I, I don't want to crush any dreams that you might have no and we've we've talked about that before too but I'm I was using this as an example. No, I understand that for it's radio's entertainment, but what I'm doing show is, business. Not, is not entertainment. Right, I know that. What I'm doing is is medicine, and I you know even watched last night. I, I know that that the whole thing about I watched Fox News last night. I watched Boehner speak. I watched Harry Reid speak back and forth. Even the president, none of them are talking to each other. No, of they're course all talking not. to the television camera. Of course, of course. All right, they're looking for the sound bites. Yeah, and you know it's really interesting too because you expect that as a consumer that the sound bites would be the best mm. of what they have to say. Mm -hmm. And the sound bites are awful. Yeah. Let me ask you here, first week of Obamacare on Dr. Stu's podcast. What great timing. I mean, it's a privilege to do this with you here. The, the first week of Obamacare coming, historic things coming down the pike for the American people. And uh, I think you've told me quite candidly that sometimes your patients, uh, whether it's obstetrics or, or, or gynecology, you're an OBGYN, they'll come to you with questions. And sometimes you have to look up the answers uh, because, because this is such a monstrosity, this Affordable Care Act, this... Obamacare. Uh, this first week of Ob Ob Obamacare, we're not seeing doctors walk off the job, but uh, but I think you think that in a number of years uh, that will be the case. I saw Kathleen Sebelius. I heard her. I didn't see her, Stuart. She said, uh, Dr. Stu, on a broadcast report that the average American will have from 53 plans to choose for their health care. President Obama layering that, saying for the cost, basically, of your monthly cell phone bill, you'll have health care coverage. Wow, that sounds good to me. I love the way that sounds. Yes, but it's entertainment. It's sound bites. It doesn't mean anything. And, and You think it's untrue? I think 95% I think of what comes out of these people in Washington is either knowingly untrue, which we would call a lie in the, in the common sense or in the common uh, population right. or it's it's wishful thinking or it's it's politics yes i think a lot of this stuff is a lie i just you know again i'm not going to get into the semantics of of all the pros and cons of obamacare because i can tell you right. that i've already known so many people that have lost their insurance or getting letters this year that are saying that their insurance is disappearing i just saw a thing that i think the state of new hampshire has one insurance company that's come forward so far they're in their exchange right now not oh, wow. these 53 
everybody was supposed to be able to keep their doctor. A lot of people are losing. I don't even want to get into that because what all these politicians don't take into account and the thing that affects me the most, and it also gets back to the whole communication thing, yeah. is that nowhere in this equation do you ever hear about the people that are actually going to be giving the care. Mm. This is all, it's all about a commodity. It's like buying or selling cars. It's not about, this is, healthcare is not automobile sales. Right. It's, it's nothing like it. It's a whole different thing. And, and they don't take into account that they're going to do, you're, you can keep your doctor, you can do all this, but what does the doctors think? What do the nurses think? What do the, what do the healthcare workers think? I mean, I, I know for a fact, you know, I'm a big, I have three favorite authors. Right. All right. James Missioner. Yep. Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. Mm-hmm. And Ayn Rand, mm. all right? And we've talked about yeah. my yeah. my uh, affinity for Ayn Rand. And you know I love The Hobbit. Right. She didn't write that, though. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was sorry, the other guy. Sorry, but, you know, right. whatever. You know, I'm just, you know, no, I'm just trying. But, but I'm, she, I, I'm just trying. She writes about this sort of thing, and she says something, which I've memorized because I use it in a lot of my talks. There's a doctor who drops out of society because he can't take it anymore, because he can't take all the micromanaging and government regulation. And he says this. This is a quote. This guy's name is Dr. Hendricks. He's a character in Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. He's fiction. And he's fictional. But uh, this is, just listen to this. Sure. Let them discover in their hospital wards and operating rooms that it's not safe for them to place their hands in, excuse me, place their lives in the hands of a man whose life they have throttled. It's not safe if he's the sort of man who cares, and even less safe if he is the sort of man who doesn't care. Now, what that means to me is that if you're going to tell me the hours I can work, the money I can make, the drugs I can prescribe, the procedures I can do, what do I care? Mm. Why am I going to care? I mean, good people go into medicine because they care, but they come out of it. Look, at, look. At, let me give you an example, Brian. Let me give you an example. Sure. You, you work at a radio station. What if they came in here and they told you what you could say? They limited you that you, you could only make so much money and you didn't have any lateral movement because you weren't allowed to leave. Mm-hmm. And... I wouldn't be happy. You wouldn't be happy. And I'd probably quit. And you'd probably quit. Or if you were nearing retirement age. I'd be looking for another job at 41 years old. Yeah, and if you were 60, you'd be nearing retirement age, you'd retire. Right. If they took away your freedoms to practice as you were trained to do, and to do your trade the way Brian Whitman knows how to do it, Mm. you'd be very resentful. This is None of this is talked about. You know, maybe tangentially somebody will mention it briefly, or they'll mention about tort reform, because those things are important. But this doesn't come into the play about... When Harry Reid talks to John Boehner and back and forth, Dr. none of this comes Dr. Stu, it's it Dr. Dr. Stu's podcast. I got to ask you because it's the first time I've asked this question out loud. It's the first time I've had this thought. The first week of Obamacare is here. It's historic, no doubt. Is your fear as a physician in California that Obamacare will further strip from the physician autonomy? Whatever's left of autonomy will be further stripped. Absolutely, 100% so. You won't be able to... to Get paid for what you do unless you fill out all the proper forms, unless you do all the electronic medical records, unless you take all the proper uh, courses and the proper updates and make the software changes and to maintain certain uh, continuing education that's dictated by the state or by the American Board of Medical Specialties. Mm. You, if, if you wanted to take that course at Aspen because you wanted to take your family on a ski trip, right. you're not going to be able to take that course because you've got to take the other course that's given 
you know, in, in downtown uh, uh, Ontario or something. I saw a report. I think it was the Los Angeles Times, maybe New York Times, uh, and it was last year. And the the gist of the article, the column in the L.A. Times, I'm quite certain, was that doctors shouldn't be so upset about Obamacare because you got so many people who are uninsured who will now be insured, right, who now might, if the president's right, for the cost of a monthly cell phone bill, find insurance. They'll have coverage. They'll now be patients. There will be this sort of um, – there will be this kind of uh, boom to the economy where all of these people who otherwise would stay home and die or just be sick or try to treat themselves or go to an emergency room will now have insurance and might become a patient of a Dr. Stu or a Dr. Welby or, or a Dr. whomever. Ryan, if there were more— Am I Pollyanna? If there were more people, well, if there were more people that had, were forced to listen to radio, okay, but you were still paid the same amount— mm. All right. And you had to speak to more people mm. and you had to reach more lives. But if I made money and, for everyone I spoke to. But you but you make less money for everyone you spoke to. So you have to speak to more. And by the way, Brian, if you make a mistake, you get sued. Yeah. All I do when I make a mistake is apologize. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or you get picked on by your colleagues. But, yeah. Right. But you 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 think about this. If if there's more patients coming in and the state is paying less and less per patient, because the only way to cut costs in healthcare is to pay the hospitals and doctors less money. Mm -hmm. There's no other way to do it. Mm -hmm. So they're going to pay you less. You're going to have to see more people to stay in the same place, which means less care. Let's talk here. Uh, go ahead, please. But no, less. that means less care. I mean, caring isn't just about doing a pap smear. Caring is about listening to somebody and giving them the time they need to express themselves about what might ail them, especially when you come through changes of life like adolescence or menopause. You can't do somebody in six minutes at an annual visit and get paid what the state's going to dictate that you're going to pay, that you're going to pay for. That's why a lot of physicians, at least in the community that I work in, are doing concierge medicine. They're dropping out. They're, they're, they're taking cash only. They're not going to be part of the exchanges. They're not going to be part of the system. They're, not going, to, they're going to stop working in hospitals and those sorts of settings, and they're just going to do office, office mm. work. And they're going to give great care and they're going to get paid fairly for it because they'll have the time to do it. The countdown is over. Obamacare is here. And here we are on number 13 of Dr. Stu's podcast. Go to iTunes. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I suggest five stars for Dr. Stu and write a nice review for his podcast. We've got a lot of nice ones as well. If you have a question for Dr. Stuart Fishbein, ask Dr. Stu at gmail.com. That is the email address here on the first week of Obamacare. I want you because, because this uh, this story that you told me off the air a number of weeks ago, Randy, you told Randy and I the story. It uh, it really does crystallize your sort of renegade. You were called a badass recently on a podcast. You, your your renegade status as a physician. Tell the story if you will, and if you don't want to, we'll do something else. Uh, you had a lady who who I believe uh, had twins, and she was in the hospital, and she called you. And you said to her, and I think this will this will get your memory. I think you already know what no, I'm I know talking about. I know what you're talking about. She, you said uh, you were texting, and you said, "Did you see your babies?" And she texted back, "I haven't seen them yet." No, I, I actually spoke. I was speaking to her on the phone. Well, then you called her right, right after that. Right, 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 right. Right. So what happened there? Oh, well, you know what? This is this is a typical story of the dehumanization of medicine by policy and protocol and procedure that hospitals have to have to, in order to protect themselves regarding liability. And what happens is that the humans that work there have become dehumanized. All right, it's not hu it's 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 human nature to really want to care about your your fellow man, mm -hmm. but but the system beats it out of you. 
I think, like I said, most medical students and nurses go into those fields not to get rich. They go, especially nowadays, but they go into those fields to help people. Sure. But after, just like lawyers go in, I don't think they go in to become bad people, but they, just like after all those years of law school and all those years of residency training and stuff, you get hardened and you get chastised and you get peer reviewed and you get blasted if you step out of line. Stuart, my dad, a police officer, I believe my dad went into the New York City Police Department to help people and he came out jaded. Yeah. And you can't help but coming out jaded, but but still, you shouldn't lose your humanity. In this particular case, this was a woman who fought like the Dickens to get a vaginal birth um, for her twins. She was 33 weeks. Mm-hmm. She was planning to have a home birth, but she went into labor early. And she delivered at 33 weeks at Cedars, and both babies were uh, head first. Mm. And she has given me permission, by the way, to speak about her birth. I'm not going to name any names or anything like that, but, sure. I, but I'm not violating any confidence. Question, because I'm the layman on the show. Sure. Uh, when the babies, when the twins, Dr. Stewart, head first, what's the clinical term for that? Is there one? Well, they call that's it, not breach. It's breach. called vertex vertex. Okay, breach is butt first. That's correct. Okay. Yeah, vertex vertex. Okay. Anyway, to make a longer story short, to get to your question, uh, she ended up fighting like hell over the next three days to finally get her vaginal birth. All right. So the funny things about that were that after she delivered, which they deliver in the operating room at the hospital because just in case, and they have, you know, about eight or ten people in the room, so it's really not very private because you have. Two NICU teams, you have anesthesiologists, you have residents and nurses and doctors. So it's very crowded in there. It's, it's, much, it's much more like a, a public street than it is a private birth. It's stressful. Anyway, so she, gets, she goes to recovery room after her babies go up to the, uh, the nursery because they're only 33 weeks. So they go up to the intensive care unit to be observed with the dad. And the mom goes to the recovery room. And the recovery room nurse, nurse obviously doesn't get report from the delivery room nurse. Mm. And the recovery room nurse lifts, lifts up her gown and says, oh, where's your incision? Assuming a C-section is automatically, yeah. she automatically see twins C-section. Unbelievable, because that is sort of the standard that goes on there. And you know, the woman wasn't surprised because the woman was well educated. But but the, just even the idea that there was no communication between one and the other that she didn't even know that she had a vaginal birth, and then she was the nurse was extremely pleased and surprised that That's this re- had happened. That is remarkable. Well, it gets even it gets even more remarkable because then she eventually goes to her room. And then the twins deliver around midnight and she, about seven in the morning. She's recovering in her yeah, room? Yeah, she's, she's back in her room and the twins are upstairs in the nursery. And I call her about, or I text her about seven in the morning and I asked her how the babies are doing. And she says she doesn't know. So I said, what do you mean you don't know? Do you recall if she had a boy and a girl or, or if she had two? Two girls. Two girls. Yeah. Okay. And uh, she says she doesn't know. And so I said, well, why don't you know? And they said, why, why aren't you up there? And she says, they won't let me leave the floor until I pee. And I'm going... What? So I call her up and I say, you have to, you have to understand. I don't under, I mean, I don't get this. I don't understand. What difference does it make whether you can pee or not? Put your slippers on, put your robe on and go upstairs. What are they going to do? Tackle you? Arrest you? <laughs> You're great. You know, go, go <laughs> you, see your baby. You are a badass. <laughs> what, what, why, what nurse would say to a mother who just had two babies, who's ambulatory, who's walking around, you can't go see your baby because you haven't peed yet. There's a toilet up in the nursery. You can pee up there. Okay. Just let them know. You're the doctor, Dr. Stu. You're asking rhetorically. You're asking the audience. You're asking me. I don't know. You're the physician. So I'll ask you, what in the world would be the mindset? What would be the medical benefit to to making sure a new mom urinates, pees first before she can get up and go see her baby twins? Where does that come from? From, from whose head? It came from the nurse's head, but what's the medical? There's got to be, right? Something or no. It's con- it's what we call concrete thinking, all right? If you have a uh, woman who's had a medical problem and they, and they can't pee afterwards, it's something where they have to keep an eye on it. 
but it's not an emergency five or six hours after birth, and it really doesn't matter. But this nurse, I think, is so afraid of not following the policy. Mm. She's more afraid of getting in trouble. Mm. All right, it takes a, it takes a nurse that has ex- maybe experience. Maybe this was a younger nurse. I don't know anything about the nurse, and I'm not picking on the nurse. Right. But maybe it was a younger nurse with less experience. But anybody with human experience would say to her, you know what, honey, let me get you a wheelchair. Let's just go upstairs. I mean, she could walk, but I'll help you go upstairs. See your babies. Let's go see your baby. What's the most important thing for this new mom to have happen to her? Pee or see her babies? Well, by the way, seeing her babies, probably top top moment of her life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, spending time, well, top moment of the baby's life for sure. The, yeah, babe, the right. babies need to be with their mother. Right, but uh, right, that's true. But mom, I mean, to see her babies after nine months, she wants to see them and kiss them and hug them. You know, it, it, Brian, it's it's all this is pounded into the nursing staff at almost every hospital. Is this to follow steward, policies? In follow fairness, procedures. in fairness, doctors do this mind blowing story that you've just told us with again no names and everybody's protected. Please tell me this is a. Totally out of left field. This is such an exception to the norm. Please tell me it is. I can't. I can't tell you it's an exception. All right. Just like you hear stories about anything, you know, that's that that seems very odd to you in the in the world. Like, you know, uh, you do news all the time. You hear these weird stories about yeah. dog owners or about other. Right. You know, this is this is not an unusual story. And and although having twins is an unusual story, the. I, Brian, you know, we could sit here yeah. and we could have a 24-hour a marathon podcast yeah. and I would not run out of stories to tell you mm-hmm. about things that happen that are really dumb, mm. just dumb, I believe that it. happen in hospitals because people don't, they, they forget how to be human. They forget what they're there for. What's the reason that this woman was in the hospital for? Here on Dr. Stu's podcast, it is podcast number 13, lucky number 13. I have to ask you something. Uh, lucky number 13. People say Friday the 13th. No, it's unlucky. This is the lucky number 13. This is Dr. Stu's lucky 13th podcast. Um, last week, uh, we had a recent guest, week before last, Adiola, early last week, she talked about uh, California AB 1308, and we talked about that legislation. And there was a lot of talk there about uh, about C-sections, and you just talked for a moment ago about C-sections, and the nurse lifts up the gown and says, where's your scar? And you've told us uh, very eloquently about many moms who are kind of given the full court press to have a C-section when they go, Dr. Stu, to the... Uh, uh, to the hospital to have their baby. My brother, Barry, who is almost three years older, was a C-section. Back in 1969, my mom had my brother. And the thinking then was, if your first baby's a C-section, your second baby has to be a C-section. I came along in 1972. I was also a C-section. This might be a very naive question, but again, I'm not a doctor. And that's part of, I think, when we hear from people, they say sometimes part of the charm of the show that I'm just a regular guy asking the doctor just regular guy questions. if I upset women with this question, forgive me. Why are women so afraid? We need to, we need an answer to this. Why are women so afraid of C-sections? Is it because it's a surgery, or is there more to that than this? Well, not all women are afraid of C-sections, and 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 not all women are well informed. But they seem to be heavily avoided if they can be. Am I well, wrong? Well, in my population, they're very they very much want to avoid them because yeah, I mean, it, it, there's nothing natural about a C-section. All right. They're life-saving when necessary. And again, you know, just like we bash police officers when they do something wrong and we bash um, politicians when they do something wrong, most of the time people do something right. And most of the time hospitals do things right, Mm. right? But 
a lot of times they don't do things right. And those are the kind of things that we tend to talk about on Dr. Stu's podcast because, because these are the things that people don't know about. And this is my, again, my mission in life. C-sections are a major surgery. Their babies are not meant to be delivered that way. There are, there are many detriments to a baby being delivered by a cesarean section, which is when, when it's not necessary. Mm. And again, we talked, Brian, the C-section rate is 33% in the United States. Mm. 40 years ago, it was 5%. And it's, yeah. I mean, you know, there's something wrong with the system. There's something wrong that happened. There's something going on in the medical system that isn't taken into account in the Obamacare system. I mean, look at my father today. He's 93 years old. God bless him. And God he, bless him. Yeah. And he had, he had to have his pacemaker replaced. He's had a pacemaker for eight years. Just right now. He's leaving the place now. He's just in the recovery room right now. I just got a text from my sister. How's he doing? He's doing fine. Great. But he wasn't doing fine beforehand. You know why? Why? Because they delayed him two and a half hours. Mm. So here's a 93-year-old guy going up to surgery. Blood pressure through the roof. And, well, probably, I don't know right? that. I don't know anything or nervous, about the details. nervous, nervous. Yeah, you know, and my dad is a very calm man. And so I texted my sister. I said, well, at least he must be calm. And my, my sister said, no. No, he's really irritated. So you were concerned. Yeah, and I'm concerned because, you know, why, what's the delay? Why, I mean, when I used to operate at hospitals, even if I had the first case of the morning, we were always starting 40 minutes late. Always. I could never figure it out. Why don't they, everybody get there 40 minutes early so we can start on time? Mm. It never happens. And all day long, you've got all these things. And then you're going to get more and more people getting into the system and less and less hospitals wanting to do some of these things. There's going to be longer waits. There's going to be uh, more dysfunction. It's going to be, it's going to be, you know, you, you have your views. And yes, there are positive things about any healthcare plan. And if you just say the way the, 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 uh, look, and we'll learn together the bad and the good. We will yeah. as we continue and on the platitudes, the platitudes sound great, sure. but, but in practicality, yeah. you've got to have humans that want to implement these things, and it's not human nature. Mm. It is not human nature to want to be enslaved. Very interesting. And this is the enslavement of medicine. We are really, really, I have to say for Dr. Stu, I can speak for Dr. Stu, we are moved. Whenever we have guests on who say, I told my girlfriend, and they love it, and I'm late to the party, and I've listened to every single podcast, I want to thank you for joining the community, because this really is a community. Dr. Stu's podcast, it's a wonderful thing to be a part of. And we have such a close-knit group of folks who are really and truly so passionate about the issues, the primary issue of home birthing that you talk about, Dr. Stu, but all of the other issues as well here on Dr. Stu's well, podcast. Well, birthing, like many things in medicine, is, is an extremely personal and momentous event. And it's really been taken away from the woman. It's been, da it's been damaged. What we're trying to do with my colleagues, the midwifery colleagues I work with and some of the people nationwide and even worldwide, mm. is we're trying to bring awareness back to women. So even those physicians, and maybe we'll talk about that at a future podcast, about, sure. about physicians who are anti-home birth, even those physicians can at least understand that this is not, not an unreasonable choice, that this is something that, that women should have the option of knowing about. And if I can change even one life at a time, and I know that I do, I did a birth this week yeah. on a woman with a 10-pound, 7-ounce baby, wow. and she delivered vaginally at home. Mm. And I know that the chances of her having that baby in a hospital vaginally would have been slim to none. Wow. Dr. Stu's podcast. You can hear two brand new shows every week. Go to iTunes, register for the feed, give five stars and a nice review. If you have a question for Dr. Stuart Fishbein, it's askdrstu at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us on Lucky Number 13, Dr. Stu's 13th podcast. For Dr. Stuart Fishbein, I'm Brian Whitman. Thank you for joining us.